Let me tell you a story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was good. And God created you and I in his image. We are the very image bearers of God. We are his children. And God made a covenant with us back at creation. And he told us to be fruitful and to multiply. And we were called to have dominion over all of creation. But then we rebelled against God and, and we didn't trust God's definition of what was good and what was evil. We wanted to tell God what was good and what was evil. And this broke the heart of God. And more than that, it broke us. It broke all of creation. The world is still ravaged by our sin. We are a broken people. We are confused and, and easily manipulated by our brokenness and by our sin and by evil. To the point that at times we call evil good and we call good evil. And at times we, we love the things we shouldn't love and we hate the things we should love. And our sin has plunged the world into greater and greater depths of evil. But God had a plan. He had a rescue plan in mind from the beginning. So God decided to start over. And he chose a man and a family. Noah. Noah. And God spared Noah from a terrible flood. A flood that destroyed the world. And after the flood, God made another covenant with humanity. And he said, I will never again destroy the world by flood. And your part, Noah, your part is to be fruitful and to multiply. And the world was recreated. And God's redemption of man was to come through Noah. But Noah was broken just like you and I. And we broke covenant with God. And God called another man, Abraham. And he told Abraham, I am choosing you to bless the whole world. From, from your family, the whole world will know who I am. I will bless you to be a blessing. And I'm making covenant with you and your family. And this covenant blessing includes a land and a promise of offspring, and a promise of being set apart for God, to teach the world who God is. That's your calling. That is our calling. We have been blessed to be a blessing, to teach the world about who God is. Oh, but why would God choose Abraham? He is a nobody. He is from some backwater time and place. He wasn't perfect, but he had faith. He had faith. A little bit of faith can go a long ways. And then by the end of his life, he had learned to trust God, to trust him completely with his future and his family to the point that God asked him to give up his beloved son, Isaac, on an altar of sacrifice. But we know it was just a test. It was just a test to see if he would obey. And Abraham passed the test. And he didn't have to sacrifice his son. God wouldn't ask humanity to go through such extremes. But God would go to such extremes to save us.
And that covenant blessing passed from Abraham to Isaac and on to Jacob, his son. Jacob, the deceiver, the one who struggled with God and with everyone around him, the one who prided himself on self-sufficiency and his ability to weasel out of any situation he was in, was finally humbled by God. And when Jacob was at his lowest point is where God stepped in and transformed him. Jacob wrestled with God and he would not let go. He held on. Even though it was painful, he held on. Even though he didn't know what the future was and he was about to face certain death, he held on. And his persistence paid off as God transformed him from Jacob and changed his name to Israel. Israel, the father of 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. We see these covenant promises continuing. And now we get to the end of the story of Genesis and the story of primarily the 11th son of Israel, the story of Joseph. Joseph's story starts in chapter 37 of Genesis, and it goes all the way to the end of the book in chapter 50. I would encourage you to reread it if you haven't read it. And this story starts when Joseph is 17 years old. And Joseph and his 11 brothers are shepherds. And we learn quickly that this family has some issues, some problems. You see, Joseph is the beloved son of his father, Jacob. And this does not sit well with his other brothers. Now, you would think that Jacob, with all the issues he faced with his parents and their uh, liking one and not the other, he would have learned, but he did not learn. And his father even had a special coat made for him, and his brothers were jealous. How often jealousy gets us in trouble. How often jealousy gets us in trouble. And, And to make matters worse, Worse, God spoke to Joseph in dreams. And Joseph had a dream in which his whole family bowed down to him. Now, and then Joseph made the mistake of telling his family about the dream. Well, one day, Joseph's older brothers are in a a distant pasture, and Israel tells Joseph to go and hunt out his brothers and check on them, see how they're doing. And when Joseph finally finds his brothers out in the distance in a far off place, the brothers see him coming and they decide to kill him and make it look like a wild animal did it. Did I mention that jealousy can get us in trouble? Thankfully, the oldest brother, Reuben, talks him out of killing the younger brother. But when he isn't around, the other nine decide to sell him to a group of traders that are on their way to Egypt. And so Joseph finds himself sold to a man named Potiphar, in the land of Egypt, he is now a slave. Just as an aside, we know from archeology span and history that what the price set for Joseph was the actual price of slaves in that time. One of those little hints that this is a real story in a real time, in a real place. And in this moment in time, Joseph, I'm sure, sees no other future but slavery. This is his fate. This is the rest of his life to be a slave how would you react how would you live if this was set before you this if this was your fate how would you react the amazing thing to me is that it does not make joseph jaded and it does not make him evil 
Instead, Joseph stays faithful and is a faithful slave. And because of his faithfulness, Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his entire household. Things seem to be going well for Joseph finally, as well as things can go for a slave. But then Potiphar's wife notices how good-looking Joseph is, and she starts to seduce him. But Joseph will have nothing to do with her. It would have been easy for him to accept her advances. But as I said earlier, Joseph is a faithful man of God. Even when it is a disadvantage to him and it will cost him everything. Well, finally, Potiphar's wife has had enough of Joseph and she tells her husband that Joseph tried to rape her. And Potiphar, in his anger and rage, throws him in prison. Now, just an interesting side note again here. Egypt is one of the very few nations that actually has a prison system in this time period. And only this part of Egypt in this time period do they have prisons. And again, another clue that this is an actual story and an actual time and an actual place. Because what did the other nations do if someone was caught doing wrongdoing? The typical... Uh, punishment for adultery was death. Other punishments that people would receive for doing something wrong would be bodily mutilation, think the cross, or you would pay a fine. Now, Joseph should have been killed, but Potiphar had mercy and threw him in prison. He would have been in prison for the rest of his life. Maybe Potiphar didn't completely trust his wife. We don't know. Maybe. But anyway, back to our story. Joseph finds himself in prison wrongly committed. And the text says that the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Let that sink in a minute. Would you be able to say the same thing if you were in Joseph's situation? How often do you have a bad day or a, a bad week and we wonder if God is with us? We don't get a good parking spot at Walmart and we moan and wail. But Joseph is in prison, wrongly accused for a crime he didn't commit after he had been sold into slavery by his brothers. And the text says that the Lord showed him steadfast love. Can you see God's steadfast love in your situation right now? Joseph is faithful. In a difficult situation, Joseph is faithful. And the prison warden elevates him to a position where he is taking care of all the other prisoners. Enter in two new prisoners, the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh himself. They're put in prison. They had angered the Pharaoh. Most likely there was some sort of coup that had gone on. And, and Pharaoh is trying to figure out who is guilty before he kills everybody. Well, both the baker and the cupbearer, they have dreams. And Joseph is able to interpret the dreams. For the cupbearer, uh, Jacob says, he will be restored to Pharaoh's court. That God will lift up his head. For the baker, he, he tells him, your head will be lifted off, uh, off your shoulders. That's what the text says. That's the interpretation that Joseph gives their two dreams. How would you like to give the baker that news? By the way, you're going to be killed in a couple of days. And Joseph, though, he asked the cupbearer to mention his name to Pharaoh. 
so that maybe he can get out of prison. But does the cupbearer remember the help that he had been given by Joseph? No. He completely forgets about Joseph for two years. But two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dream. And suddenly it occurs to the, to the cupbearer. Oh yeah, there was this dude in prison two years ago that interpreted my dream. You might go ask for him and bring him up to interpret. And so it said, the text says that they get Joseph. Here's another marker that says this is a real story in a real time in a real place. It says they shaved his head and face. Pharaoh didn't like facial hair. I couldn't come before Pharaoh like this. And they put on a linen garment. Again, what they wore at the time. And basically, uh, and, and Joseph goes before Pharaoh and he interprets his dream. Basically, the interpretation of the dream is that the Middle East is going to have seven years of incredible prosperity, followed by seven years of incredible drought. And Pharaoh is so impressed that he asked Joseph, what should we do? And Joseph says that they ought to save up food for seven years to sustain them through the drought to come. Pharaoh agrees and he puts him in charge of the whole project. Well, after the seven good years, the drought comes and it affects all the other nations around Egypt. And Jacob and his family hears that there is grain in Egypt. So he sends 10 of his sons to go down to Egypt to get grain. That's when Joseph comes face to face with his brothers who sold him into slavery. Now his brothers, they don't recognize him at all. But think about this for a moment. How would you react? How would you react? Have you come face to face with someone who has betrayed you? How did you react? Joseph has mercy. And through a series of tests, sees if his brothers have actually learned anything at all over all the years. And finally, he reveals himself to his brothers. And that's where our text is from this morning. Let's read it again. Joseph says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Wow. That is is having an eternal perspective, isn't it? What his brothers intended for evil, God used in order to save his brothers, his whole family, and all of the people in Egypt and Canaan. Is that not amazing? We have been blessed to be a blessing those covenant promises that had passed to Joseph, he is now blessing a nation that is not even his nation. He is blessing a people that is not even his people. He is blessing the world, and he's a slave. 
That's our calling. Is that not incredible grace on God's part? If only we could have an eternal perspective. If only we wouldn't be so quick to write God off in situations that we don't understand. If only we could remain faithful in days that are desolate and full of misery. If only we truly understood that God is a God that can even take evil and transform it and use it for good. That's the amazing thing about this story. And from this moment, Joseph brings his father and his other 11 brothers and they come down to settle in Egypt. And just in case we really didn't understand the verses that we just read about God using it for good and that God caused it, there is another reminder at the very end of the book of Genesis. Genesis 50, verse 20. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. Is that not just amazing? So here we stand at the end of Genesis, looking at this verse, this verse that, that helps illuminate not just the story of Joseph, but the whole story of Genesis and our story as well. Let's connect the dots. We look at the world and we see such evil. We look at the chaos around us and we wonder at times what is happening. How could this be good? We can see the brokenness and wonder if there's any hope. And Genesis reminds us that ultimately God is in control. That even those things that were meant for evil can be turned on their head and used for God. We serve a God that in the beginning brought order out of chaos. So how do we respond to the chaos around us? How will we respond to evil? I pray that you will respond with faithfulness and submission to God. Because we know, those of us in Christ, we know this truth, that all chaos, all evil, all brokenness will ultimately be brought under complete control by God one day. God's rescue plan for us has been in place since the beginning and we know that his kingdom will reign forever. The forces of evil and chaos in this world will be destroyed and God's covenant faithfulness will shine forever. Amen. So, what's your next step? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. So often we look and we see terrible things. And it is terrible. But here's the amazing thing about God. God can take what was used for evil and turn it on its head and use it for good. Amen? Just look right there. What was intended for evil was turned on its head and used for good. So the question for you is, have you submitted your life completely to God? Are you being faithful every day in whatever situation you find yourself in?
How can you be faithful like Joseph was faithful, even in terrible situations? Here's a question for you. Maybe this is a next step. Do you need to forgive your family? Do you need to let go of a wrongdoing that has been done to you and submit yourself completely to God? We have been blessed to be a blessing, right? You have been blessed as a Christian with forgiveness so that we can offer the blessing of forgiveness to others. This is our call. This is our story. This is the beginning of God's rescue plan for us and for humanity. Genesis. In the beginning, God. Let us pray.